everyone. I'm Trisha Bell. Hi, I'm Georgie Young. And welcome to CTE Talk, a podcast where we talk all about CTE, concussion culture and sport, and life as a family member. Every Monday, we will be joined by guests to shed light on the neurological disease, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Join us on our mission to raise awareness and educate others. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to CTE Talk. Trisha and I are so excited to be here today, and we are joined with the lovely Mary Brooks, who is our first guest. So, Mary, would you like to say hello? Hello. So good to be here, girls. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You're one of the first people that we thought of to have on because you're, you're such a passionate speaker about CTE. Um, and how it affected you and your family? Well, one of the things that my mom and dad always told me is that I had a loud voice and to use it when it was necessary. That's so great. (laughs) You know, I mean, the way that I look at this is that you have to turn your anger and your uh, sadness, depression, uh, turmoil, trauma into something. So what are you going to do with it? You know, I mean, are you, are you going to let it internally eat you alive? Cause it will, or do you vote, you know, what is your way? Like you understand, I mean, it, you, people find a lot of um, relief out of helping people through tragedy, right? Uh, uh, p- putting it to good use. So I look at this as like my outlet, my therapy. It's also a release of anger to vocally talk about it and to just, yeah you know, be very honest and brutal and say the ugly things that people are embarrassed to talk about. We need the honest, honest truth because people really need to understand what CTE actually is from the people who have gone through it themselves. Right. Yeah, if you don't have support, you gotta have support. Tell tell us, Mary, um, tell us uh, who in your family had CTE and tell us a little, I I know it was your dad, George Mm -hmm. Andre, and um, go ahead and tell us about your dad. So my dad, uh, he played for the Dallas Cowboys for 10 seasons. He basically played football from the time he was a kid. I mean, you know, three, four years old, he was out there playing football. Um, And he was a very good football player. He was a defensive end. He had a very good career, uh, a lot of great accomplishments and whatnot. But um, he had all those sacks one year. Um, yeah, he did. He was he was a he was a sacker. He he definitely mm-hmm. hurt some quarterbacks. Um, and he was um, just a really hard worker. You know, he and my mom had many many kids, so they had to raise you know the kids and. I would say, according to my mom and my earliest memory, it was probably about five or six years after he retired when he started exhibiting symptoms that were really noticeable that my mother thought that's just an uncharacteristic quality from George. Um, I was too young then because I'm the fifth kid. So I I was going to ask that. Yeah, I popped in when it was in its you know, it was, it was going pretty good. If you know what I mean, it, it's a, as we are going to talk about, it's a progressive disease. So it progressively got worse, but he was extremely good at hiding it. Like so many of these men are extremely good at looking normal, acting normal in public, conducting um, conversations with people normally for 
many, many years until he wasn't, mm -hmm. you know, until that became impossible. And then he retreated and no longer wanted to socialize that much and stuff like that. Yeah. Now, how old was your dad when he retired? He was 32. So he started and, exhibiting symptoms in his early 40s. Yes. In fact, it was about 42, 41 to 42. My mom said mm -hmm. she literally woke up one day with a different man. His, his, it, it, it just, he woke, she, she woke up with someone who was just stressed, who had anxiety, you know, terrible anxiety. Um, you know, and she thought that it was a mid, like a midlife crisis or the stress of raising seven children, you know, supporting seven children's lot. So mm -hmm. there's always a reason in life to say, oh, you know, things are tough and all of that sort of stuff. But she, she was very, you know, she'd been with them forever. So she knew that there was something that changed. And she said that she just, she just didn't know what it was. She just thought that maybe he was having his midlife crisis, as people call it. I was going to say, this was about, um, what, 2010 that you saw the documentary, Mary? No, it was 2013. It was 2013. Okay. Yeah. And I sat wow. and watched the whole thing and just, I think for about three days, I was in shock. I thought this yeah. is, this is for real. And I felt like now, how do I convince everybody <laughs> that I watched a documentary and I figured out, you know, the family secret or whatever, you know? Um, but luckily my family was receptive to it. Some of, you know, my dad for sure was, he's like, okay, you know, I need to go see a neurologist and see what the hell's wrong with my head. So that was the beginning of our journey. So you obviously watched the documentary, you spoke to your family about it and presented this kind of disease to your dad and see what his thoughts were. But I thought obviously meant you mentioned earlier that CT is an invisible disease. You can't necessarily see it from the outsider. Someone could look healthy, but actually be really struggling. So I just wondered how finding that documentary, speaking to your family, and then starting to go to doctors and neurologists, how that was re received? Because your dad, uh, like you said, he probably looked quite healthy from the outside, but really things were changing. We got extremely lucky. You know, he lived in a small town at that time in the upper uh, part of Michigan. And he just got this incredible neurologist. And this is back in 2000. For early 2014 and she just happened to know I mean I I was sort of like okay I mean she wrote on the paperwork you know I believe he has chronic traumatic encephalopathy and she wrote it on there um <clears throat> which you know doctors weren't doing at the time they they, they weren't doing that at, at the time and then the psychologist the neuropsychologist that my dad saw was fabulous and he said, you know, your dad does not have, he's got depression, but he does not have a mental illness. Um, he did an eight hour thing and said, your dad's suffering from an early form of dementia. And there's, it's, it's not, you know, and, and he said, I believe it's from all the years of repetitive head trauma. Um, so that was in 2014. And um, I was told, you know, that's just not true. Bye the NFL, you know, they're like, that's not true. <laughs> so that this began another neurologist who 
was fabulous and confirmed it as well. So we got really lucky that we saw doctors that were already aware. Um, and I believe that the neurologists have been aware for a long time. I don't think any of them are surprised. I, I think you, the only neurologist you'd hear something different from are the ones contracted specifically by the uh, NFL. Hmm. They kind of see things differently than other neurologists do. I've had the same experience. Um, even if the neurologist, even way back when, when they weren't really familiar with the CTE, the acronym and exactly what it stood for, no neurologist was surprised. Um, I mean, that a football player had what was going on now going on. So yeah, same experience. And to go from that to, to where we are today, where you're doing this, you and Georgia are doing this, where Concussion Legacy Foundation is doing all of their work, where the National Institute of Health has finally recognized that, you know, rec recognized this as a true illness caused by brain trauma. These are really exciting things that have happened, right, in the last decade. Mm -hmm. from uh from many of us not knowing what this was at all right right it's all from individuals like yourself mary kind of sharing their story and sharing the legacy of the people who kind of suffered with cte because it kind of causes like this snowball effect where it spikes everyone's ears and people are interested to learn more and I think we are definitely on the right path and we're stepping in the right direction of more and more people understanding it. And that was our hope for this podcast, Trisha, wasn't it? That people who don't really know what CT is learn more from the people who have been affected by it most. And that's what we are kind of really excited about um, being a small part in the bigger picture of, of that process. Absolutely. Educating and hearing the stories, because as you both know, um, the stories are so different sometimes. Sometimes you have very angry players. Sometimes you have players just with impulse control issues. Sometimes you have players or um, with just addiction issues or sometimes you have all of them. The, the cultural side of this is, is sad because of the fact that now we know something about something we loved that was beloved to the masses. Um, not to me anymore, but used to be, you know, something I enjoyed very, very much. But I think as we learn more about it and we realize the dangers and, you know, the addictions that Trisha's talking about, you know, I, they, they, they definitely run hand in hand with, you know, CTE, just like all mental illness, you know, you try to calm your mind. So you begin to take drugs or whatever, but let us not forget that these guys were on drugs all the time given to them for, you know, without prescriptions for various reasons for sports injuries. And a lot of them left the league addicted to drugs already. You know, they left the league addicted to opioids and they left the league addicted to um, other substances. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Things like that. Benzodrines, you know, amphetamines and things like that, steroids. Um, when you, when you do that on top of everything else, you know, it's, it's, it's a disaster is what it is. And unfortunately, many men aren't with us anymore because of a lot of those issues that I believe, you know, in my opinion, um, all, all go together into a, a, a circle connected by the culture, the culture of the, the sport and the game.
um, going back to kind of the situation that you were dealing with with your father, you mentioned how you were one of, was it one of five children? Um, and I just wondered how easy it was for you to adopt the caregiving role for your dad, um, because I know it is, it is such a challenging role and um, it comes with many demands and challenges. So I just wondered how easy that was for you. So the act of it was very easy for me. The act of caregiving for my parents was really easy because that's just what you do and that's who I am. But over a period of time, I began to realize that I wasn't um, caregiving for a 78-year-old man. I was caregiving for a scared 10-year-old child. I think that that might still be the saddest part of this for me personally. Like I have emotional moments and then I have really funny moments where I'll laugh, 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 laugh. Um, and then I have these really sad moments and the sad moments are when he was the most vulnerable and where we connected on a basis where it was like being a mother to a child. He knew he was fully dependent in certain ways of his life. And for a big, tough man who played football, who never showed weakness, played with broken bones on the football field, he was vulnerable. And he was very, you know, Mary, I need you. And as a parent, I know that you don't, you know, and Tricia, you can chime in on this as well. You don't ever want your children to feel like, you know, you're dependent, like they have to take care of you and all of that. So for me to see my father come to me and be like, because my mother was in bad health. I want to be clear about that. My mother was very much involved. Um, she was in bad health herself and a very tiny woman who just couldn't physically do it. So I'll tell you what happened to me during that time. I gained about 60 pounds. Um, I didn't sleep. I wasn't eating correctly. Um, I was... Um, probably drinking too much, um, you know, for anxiety, things like that. And finally, I just realized, um, no, you have to find a, a healthier way to internalize this because you have a job, you have a child. You, I feel like I failed in a lot of my, something had to give, but I wouldn't take it back. I, I would never take it back. But yeah, it, it destroyed I have to, I'm still building myself back from it, Georgia. It's been a long time. I mean, my dad passed in 2018, you know, and I'm still girls figuring out like the trauma of letting it go. You know, the, the hysteria of, oh, he fell again. You know, the hysteria of the calls at work and the, the dad has a wound that, you know, is infected and he might go septic and die and, you know, leave work, leave work. But, um, but I comforted him and I stayed with him because he was very scared and he was scared that they were going to do something wrong. They made a lot of, they made a lot of mistakes. People do, but there were a lot of medical mistakes and each time one happened, he'd freak out and I'd have to go. And if I wasn't there, he, he'd, he'd freak out. So it, it didn't fall on me as like, Oh Mary, this is your responsibility. You have to do this. I'm kind of a jump in there and get it done person. And then he became real dependent on me. I became like his little, his person, right? 
And um, we had some of the best times we've ever had in our life during that time. I wouldn't change it for the world, but um, it definitely, I can tell you as a caregiver, caregivers need help. Caregivers need therapy. Caregivers need help. And you can tell a caregiver to take time for themselves and just <laughs> stop. <laughs> you know, they are not going to do that or be able to do that. I wish that that were the truth, but, and I love everyone who told me that, but it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough with this disease. They're a child. They're, they're they, they go right back to being a child. Yeah. Mary, going back to, um, if we could, back to when your dad first started exhibiting symptoms, we talked about like in his early forties around there, like what were those first symptoms and as compared to the, where he was in these years you're talking about right now? So interestingly, the symptoms didn't start with memory, you know, um, that was one of the interesting things I learned about this disease is that the memory actually comes later. Um, the memory loss, you know, in the later stages of the disease. So in the beginning, it was more, um, anxiety, depression, um, impulse control, you know, just, mm -hmm. just impulse control, just making big decisions too quickly, making decisions, you know, without my mother being involved, which is not the way their marriage was, that they didn't have one of those marriages where my dad did whatever he wanted and didn't tell my mom, you know, he did some things like that. And, um, I was young. I don't, obviously my parents protected me from those things. But I, I saw the, the environment change. You know, I, I, you feel it as a kid. So, you know, I just started to notice that he became more distant and that he, he was always such a social and happy guy. And he got to where he only enjoyed family events with our family, you know, he, he, or people that he really knew. He, he did not like to go to places where he didn't know a lot of people. He, he also just never fully got comfortable. I don't think ever with all the attention of being a professional football player, to be honest with you, that was so not my dad. Like he didn't go to events. He didn't go to, um, he did charity work and he did some autograph signing. Um, he would do anything for charity, but he, he just wasn't, you know, he wasn't one of those guys that would go places like that and, um, and be seen or go to the games. No, he was, you know, too busy working and um and when he walked off the field he kind of left it that was his job he's like gotta make money yeah. for my kids now you know but the first signs were he didn't tell anybody the first signs were directionally like getting lost you know mm -hmm. he just got lost a, a route he would always go he forgot where to turn he would go to the grocery store all the time he was the grocery store guy my mom would send him with a little list, you know, a little notepad and she would stick it in his front pocket and stick a cell phone in there, you know, cause how can you not see that? And, um, he'd get into town, forget why he was in town, be kind of driving around going, what the heck was I supposed to get? And mom's going to kill me, you know, <laughs> that whole thing. And she'd be pissed off, you know, he'd come home without anything and say, he didn't know what to say to her. He would just say, I, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And 
she felt guilty later for getting mad. She's like, I just sent him out for groceries. Why can't he come home with five groceries? You know, and it would become a big fight. And um, a lot of that started happening, him getting lost fishing. He loved fishing. Um, he had a boat. He bought a new boat uh, sporadically. <laughs> and my mom, <laughs> yeah, my mom was really excited because she thought, oh, good, he'll go fishing. He'll go fishing. He went out one time and got lost, barely found his way home. And so never took the boat out again. Those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. And then the language stuff, you know, the, the language where he would be thinking something, but what would come out of what he wanted to say didn't come out, you know, the aphasia and all of that. And then I noticed it the most in the eyes. I, I noticed that there became a thing in his eyes that was vacant, a look. It's vacant. It's a glassy, vacant look where he's gone, you know, even though he's there. And he was having the, the seizures, the complex partial seizures. Mm -hmm. So he was having about 12 of those an hour, every hour mm -hmm. he was having seizures in his brain. So the doctor said every time he had one of those partial seizures, it's like a little blackout. It's a mini blackout. So he was driving like that. He was grocery shopping like that. Then we got him on seizure medication and that, you know, that helped with that, with that part. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I didn't even know that you could have kind of a partial seizure and that many as well. And I mean, that must've been really difficult, especially if he wasn't communicating that he was really struggling with that too. Yeah. I, he would always say, what the hell's wrong with my brain? And I would look at him and I would just laugh at that time because you know as we get older I do it I'm like what is wrong with my brain and I never I don't know we joked around a lot and he would just say what the hell's wrong with my brain you know and I'd be like ah. and then I finally he was like no really what, what you know but what the hell's wrong with me and I thought well we need to there's something wrong with you we need to find out so then he started to come clean about everything he started to talk to me about everything and then I had all of the psychiatric records well he made me the medical power of attorney for him just because he needed someone to be able to speak for him in an emergency uh, medical situation and my mother didn't know what her health was going to be like so I told my dad I said I'll 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 do it and he was like okay and um so then I had to start monitoring the medications and you know it got to where 15 20 medications mm -hmm. I mean I, I was just sort of like well are they working it I, I mean I I don't even know you know I I think I've heard of people trying just about everything and I do believe that some people get real lucky and they get on a medication cocktail that works good for a while most of my friends say seems like it's level and then like everything else it quits working. They have to be reevaluated. And I, I just, I don't know of anyone who's been on like one psychiatric drug for CTE and just been like, great. You know what I mean? It's an ever changing yeah. thing. So hard to balance. I've got friends who they're in the doctor every month with their husbands trying to 
medicate them so they can live without fear, you know, and um, this is a complicated thing. This, this to me is just, it's, 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 it's so much more complex. I'm fascinated by it. I'm, I'm fascinated by the brain. I think it's, it's just absolutely fascinating, but um, the complexity of it, it's, mm -hmm. it, there's so much more to learn, you know? Yeah. And they are learning so much. I know. It's just great. Everything just coming great. out of the Concussion Legacy Foundation every year and just new research papers. And it's amazing love, how far they I love that organization, Concussion Legacy Foundation. I'll tell you, I, uh, I'm going to shout out to CLF because um, the help that they gave me, um, along with you ladies, Tricia, um, meeting people who were going through the same thing and then tapping into people who, I mean, they care, you know, it, it isn't, it's a business, but they care. And I have never felt more number one, cared about, respected my, the way they handled my father's, you know, brain, brain donation <clears throat> when we did it was just, it was so beautiful the way that they handle it from a family perspective and um I'm just so grateful to them and my family was so grateful to them and I know a lot of my friends have been grateful to them because in that moment where you've got to make those decisions right you you think oh okay I know what I'm gonna do I, I got it I got it you know I had talked to Lisa McHale about when dad died and we had talked in Chicago and but when it really happened, you know, and I'm there and my dad passed away at home, you know, there with me, with all of us, I was like, okay, well now we've got to, you know, I made one, my mom was like, we need to call Lisa. One call to Lisa, it was done. And Boston wow. University was so incredible. Like, so I wanted to shout out to them because I think what they're doing is is the best research and the most cutting edge, you know, um, resources out there for just families that need therapy, that need education. You know, they're working towards keeping our children safe and they have hotlines for you. You know, they'll, they'll yeah. help get therapy for your children and you, um, we, it, it they're amazing. They are, they are so great and they're just such inspirational people and I think what's so great about them, they are kind of the ears that everyone needs. They just sit and listen to you and they don't, there's no judgment. They completely understand what you're going through and with all the resources that they've worked so hard to create that they can help support individuals who are going through it, whether it's the, the person suffering or, or the family members around. So yeah, I think they're great and they're definitely someone that we'll probably speak a lot about and we'll definitely Trisha and I will leave the links to the website because not only do they kind of have so many resources but there's so much information about what CT is on there and kind of the symptoms the signs to look out for so it's just some extra information that we can all it learn just, a lot from they cover it all you know what I mean they cover it all and I love that they are not they they cover it from a whole worldwide health perspective okay mm -hmm. you know my story is nfl football Amer american football that's my story of this experience um someone else's story could be boxing someone else's story could be rugby you know 
um, I was mortified because our soccer facility that we got here in um, our, or as Georgia would say, our football, our football facility in Austin, Texas, beautiful. <laughs> but we have a rugby team. What? So I heard that Austin's getting a rugby team. And I mean, I just went like, wah, 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 what? you know? I don't wow. know. I just, it disappointed me so much. I thought, are we really still doing this? But we are, we are still doing this. And, um, and as much That's as education you know, is so key, it, it really, it really is. It, it kind of disheartened me that, that we're moving in that direction. However, I don't, I don't know if it started or anything, but it did just disappointed me a little bit. But then I hear of these little snippets of great things. Like I have friends who call me and you know, it's back to school time. So the kiddos are getting ready for <clears throat> football practice. And um, so many of my friends, their kids don't play football because of me and not because I told them not to because of my experience. They were like, Mary, you know, before I met you, I knew nothing. My kid's not playing football. You know, I would be a liar if I said that I didn't get happy inside when I hear that. Not because I don't want anybody to play football. It's, it's just because there's so many incredible sports out there that are just more appropriate for children of a certain age. You know, um, when you get to be an adult, I'm, I'm like, do what you want to do, but we've got to protect our children. And living in Texas where football is bigger than, you know, church on Sunday. I mean, you know, it, it, it's, it's really more important than even church on Sunday for people um, here in the South. You you've got, we got to change that. You know, we got to get the kids to just not play until their brains are better developed. And that's yeah. my biggest thing is trying to, I, I tell my friends, they ask me questions because I talked about it. So then they started to ask and then I would tell them and I would never judge. And I would say, I understand. And I think the teamwork is wonderful. And I think the camaraderie is wonderful. I also think if he played basketball, he would have an incredible camaraderie and brotherhood there. I think if he played soccer, he would have it there. I think if he played baseball, he would have it there. You know, I think that, um, I think the conversation needs to happen, not a, um, an argument or a debate. We don't need to debate this. We need to talk about it from the perspective of reality. Um, what is it worth to you, you know, developing your, your, your child's brain in a healthy way or them missing, you know, four or five, six years of, of pop Warner football. I mean, you know, I don't know if it should be a parental choice anymore. You know, I don't know if that's maybe good. I don't, I don't know anymore. <laughs> it's so hard, isn't it? Yeah. Especially yeah. because like, for example, in the UK, I know you guys, the NFL is basically in the, in your blood. So, I mean, it's so big over there where, I mean, football and rugby are, or soccer over here is, is, is more prevalent and, I think I know you mentioned about the the rugby team starting near you, but actually over here in the UK, there's more and more rugby players speaking about out about CTE because we currently have one of our ex England rugby players diagnosed with suspected CTE. So there's been a lot more conversation on it. Um, 
but kind of that whole protecting the younger generations is is still hit a miss zone. And I think that's again to mention the CLF. That's why they they are so great because they are trying to stop tackle football under the age of fourteen, aren't they? Um, but like you said, it's all about sparking the conversation. And sport's never going to stop because, as we know, sport has so many benefits: teamwork, Absolutely. physical benefits for our mental health. But it's about sharing your experiences and kind of sparking that conversation about what can happen if we don't practice safe sport. And I think that's really what is important. It really is. And I, I think that children are, um, they're, they're also pushed physically a bit much, you know, before they're developed um, growth wise. I see, you know, the, the um, level of sports intensity has gotten better at a younger age or bigger at a younger age. I think that's another little bit of a problem I have when children are developing and growing. I think activity is so important too, but like how far do we go with these kiddos? You know, Um, I just feel like we're supposed to tell what we can tell and if it changes and helps one person, it was worth it. So it is a chain reaction. And the more you start to have the conversation, the more people start to tell you in private, oh my gosh, Mary, you know, I have a friend who's getting a divorce because her husband, you know, I have a friend whose husband played rugby in France and he's, they're not married anymore. It's, it was a bad deal. It was a bad deal. He's got suspected CTE as well. Um, So people are going through it. And if you open up that door and you just open your heart to the conversation, one of the things I was going to say, because I listened to your first episode, which was great. And when I heard Trisha say, um, I smiled so big because I heard Trisha say she's real. She just likes to go up to people and she likes to talk to people one-on-one. And the first time I met Trisha was in Chicago. Um, a group of us women got together and I will never forget um, how special it was because everybody was so sweet and nice, but I was, sitting there um with another girl and Trisha it was later in the evening and she just came up to me and sat down right beside me and she was just like so Mary you know tell me about you tell me about you know your dad and she kind of put her arm around me you know and not in a creepy way Trisha (laughs) and I I literally was like I felt like somebody just gave me this big hug and you listened to me, you looked me in the eye and you, you took everything I said in. It, it wasn't small talk. It wasn't like, um, oh, you're just talking to somebody about, oh yeah, my dad's had CT. It was really special. And there, there I remember thinking, God, she's a really special woman who um, listened. Like you just really took, I, I felt that feeling with you. And I think that's um, just your soul. And your spirit but those are the things that that help you when you're going through what you're going through you know my dad hadn't passed away yet it was actually but things were bad things were bad for us mm. and um she just took that time to really kind of pull me aside alone and 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 wanted to know she wanted to know about me when everybody has everything going on but she really we hadn't met yet so i really just look at that and say see what a gift it is that us women stick together and that we're able to talk to each other because that's a lifeline. I mean, that, yeah. that becomes a lifeline for a lot of people. Um, I, I have, I don't know where I'd be without my girlfriends. 
I call right. them my NFL girlfriends, but I don't even like to label them NFL girlfriends. I just like to label them girlfriends because a lot of them have become closer to me than some friends I've had my entire life. Oh, absolutely. And thank yeah. you for saying all that, Mary. But yes, we, we did get a chance to be with a group of incredible women. I don't even remember what year that was, but um, uh, that was 20. It was actually 2018. It was, it was 17. So no, six, it was uh, 2017. Yeah. yeah. Cause your dad was still, yeah. It yeah. wasn't close it was, yet, it was so, 2017. Yeah. He passed in 2018. So yeah, it was yeah. about a year before. Yeah. Have you guys not yeah. seen each other since that point then? We have, have not. No. Oh, oh wow. So the, the thing with the huddle is my, the first huddle that I was invited to, dad was very, dad had just died. And I told Lisa, of course, I couldn't go. My mom died in April. So the huddle happened in February. My mom ended up dying in April. So I missed the next, no, and then COVID hit. So I missed, yeah. so I have not been to a huddle yet, y'all. I have not been to a huddle, but I'm going <laughs> this next year. Nothing stopping yeah. me. <laughs> well, I've only been to one, but I miss doing the gridiron greats um, yes. and going and volunteering for that. And that's mostly yes. been because of COVID. Yes. And that's the thing yeah. is that so many of those things, they kind of got, you know, um, but I intend on attending and getting involved in that. And of course, you know, I eat all that stuff. Up. I mean, I know it's a lot of information, but I, I love the information. I just love it. Um, and I was um, reading George's transcripts of, uh, or, or some of the things that you published Georgia with some other people where you had been to the huddle and mm -hmm. you yeah. had written a paper on that. And it was very, very good. Thank you. See, I tell you, I like to go and read stuff. I love. She to, is a know. researcher. I like it. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, my I mom too. used to say I asked too many questions. <laughs> me too. They used to tell me that too. Or I was I'm reading all the time. <laughs> reading, 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 you know. Well, you right. know, it's, um, it's, if you want to understand something, you've got to, you know, yeah. you've got to, you've got to learn it. So that's what I look at this as, is I think if we, learn about this disease the real disease we learn the truth the truth about the disease which is what we're talking about having experienced it some of us um or seen it or you know with a friend or whatever I think that that's the most important part I really do I, I think it's so important because um people are ashamed of their stories people are embarrassed to tell their stories you know I mean people are embarrassed to say my husband took all the savings and it's gone. I don't, I don't know where it went or he gambled it all away or he pulled a knife on me or he, you know, threw me down the stairs. Or he's drinking all the time or shot a gun yeah. in the house, you know. Um, yeah, you name it, they've done it. Disappeared at the airport, you know. Um, and we shouldn't be ashamed. Nobody should be ashamed about that. I, I feel like we should be past this, even though with some general, you know, some people still aren't comfortable with it. I'm very comfortable with it. I think that we need to talk about it because it's a problem and people shouldn't suffer. And if we can help them, like I said, in, in, in a huge amount of people or a small amount of people we've helped. And that's what our, our sadness and our loss is supposed to, it, I'm manifesting it into that. That's what I'm trying to do, you know? Um, and so I just, you know, I, I just want people to know that there's nothing to be ashamed about, nothing.
And I told my dad, I said, we have to talk about everything. You know, we have to talk about if we're going to do this, we've got to, you're a private dude. Are you sure? You know? And he's like, I'm not, you know, I'm not ashamed of anything. It's, 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 if it helps one of my brothers, then it's worth it. I said, okay. And that was about donating his brain. Yeah, it was, he struggled with that in the beginning. I don't know if, if I, if you heard me uh, talk about that, Trisha, when we were in Chicago, he struggled a little bit because of religious reasons. Mm. He's a very, he was a very devout Catholic and he didn't know about the brain donation at first because he thought religious wise, that might be a conflict for him. But um, in the very end, when I knew it was getting to be time and I really needed him to give me that, I, I'm not going to say whether I would have done it anyway, uh, if I wouldn't have gotten it, but um, probably, but anyway, <laughs> I, <laughs> I was medical power of attorney and no, I yeah, felt it was important. I felt it was important. And he said that, Mary, it's a decision I want you to make because he didn't want the responsibility. And I'm, you know, we, we all wanted to know. And um, so we, we did it, thankfully. And um, I knew he had CTE. I, I knew it was going to be pretty bad. I actually did not think it would be as bad as it was. I am pretty real and I expected it to be significant, but I did not expect it to be as bad as when Dr. Huber called us and told us the pathology. I was like, how was he functioning as well as he was? Yeah. It was bad. It was bad, you know? And that made me, how did, how did that make me feel? That messed me up for a few days. I, I don't know if it was sadness yeah, it was more sadness that he had to work so hard to overcompensate for that. Like, I know that he had to be so mentally um, working 24-7 to be func as functioning as he was with that yeah. level of CTE. Because it was, it was stage four of four. Which that makes sense because your dad was, what, 78 when he passed? Uh-huh. And started playing or started uh, having symptoms in his early 40s. So, that, you know, that's a lot of years for it to develop all those stages. It is. It is. And I think had he lived longer, we started to see some, mus you know, muscular and skeletal issues coming up. Not orthopedic, you know, orthopedically. <laughs> that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother podcast. But yeah. the brain, it was just so bizarre how at the end it became the cell phone would sit there and you know he'd quit calling or he would dial my number but he wouldn't remember how to finish it so I'd be like dad why didn't you call me and I'd go over to the house and I could see where he had on his iPad tried to pull me up like four or five times and didn't realize why it wasn't going through and things like that and so at the end, it got to where he'd walk, he, I mean, he didn't remember where we were, where we were going. He'd say, oh, I remember this place. When we'd go to his doctor visit, he'd go, I remember this guy. He's a nice man. I'm like, he's a nice man. He's a nice man, you know. Um, I just tried to make as much fun as I possibly could for him at the end. We just tried to make it fun. We were like, you know, eat what you want. He was diabetic. I said, we're going to eat 
whatever we want. I mean, that's part of how I gained all my weight. I just said, your diabetes isn't going to get you. So let's, you know, let's go. And uh, I know that's not, that's, don't do that kids. That's not good. But <laughs> <laughs> no one is recommending that for your family. But he was 78 and I was like, you know, yeah. we're going to break some rules here. <laughs> I bet that was fun. We, we tried to make it enjoyable because the time he had left, the quality of it sucked. And, um, so we were like, you know what, let's, let's, let's blow it out where we can. And he, he went out on his terms. He was peaceful with it. He, um, it was very peaceful for, for us as well. It really was, it was very peaceful and I wish I had him here, but he's with me all the time, but I know he's proud because, um, he, he really did believe in this and he, he really did believe in the mission of education and he believed in telling the truth. And um, he was very proud of, I think, the fact that he did that. He, he contributed that to society, you know. I'm proud of him. Yeah. I'm damn and proud he knew of him. You were, he, he knew you were advocating, I mean, back then. He, he was aware of that, correct? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. He, Being um, a big CTE advocate. Yes. Yeah. He, he, you know, and I had to, you know, fight the NFL, um, as you know, that's another conversation too, but yeah, no, they were things that I, uh, let's just say I was more than proud to do that. Um, when you treat people, human beings in an inhumane way, and when you don't extend a hand to someone in their time of need, it is, it, it, it's cruel and it's um, undeniably just, it's just not acceptable. And I, it was very easy for me to fight those battles for him because, you know, just don't, you know, mess with innocent lives. You just, you just don't treat people like that. So um, that part was tough. And my anger <clears throat> was not good, but, um, and I don't know if my anger will ever be good from all that. I'm still harboring a lot of anger from having to fight for, um, what was right for, for my dad and for others. But, um, at least I shook him up. I gave um, him a little shaking. You've played such a big role, Mary. And I know I've been very lucky that I've been able to speak to you prior to this, but, for, for what you've done for CTE and for your dad especially is, is so remarkable and you're such a positively spoken lady especially after everything you've gone through so you really must take the time and realize how how amazing you are and how much you are doing for for so many other people whether they're going for it now or who may go for it in the future so I think that's really important to remember well thank yeah. you that is so kind I I tell you I um I feel like it's the, it's, it's something so important to me. It really is. It's, it's a fire that, that does burn deep in me. I, I, I think it was why I was part of why I was put here, you know, nothing fall, nothing happens by accident. And this journey of CTE, no matter how painful it was, I had told you this before Georgia, but I think it's important for people to hear this, that the more you can learn about CTE and, and, if you're interested in it, you know, the resources, reach out, um, you know, ask questions, learn about it. 
the more that you, you know, learn about CTE, the better you can also help to take care of your loved one or your friend who needs support because their loved one has CTE, you know, understand the disease. The disease is not your normal clinical genetic dementia. It's, it's not your normal clinical Alzheimer's. It's very different. It's, it's very different. It's, it's frontal lobe damage and it's, it's, it's different. It's, it's actual, it's actually different. And so I always tell people that if you can understand it, then you can be more forgiving. You can be more graceful. Um, it's, it's hard to stay in a state of, um, positivity when you're dealing with someone with CTE and they're out of control and they're screaming at you or you're in public and they're embarrassing you or, you know, um, they're doing something completely inappropriate or just whatever. And you have to always remember up here, you have CTE, you know, this isn't normal, George, this is George with CTE. And so educate yourself, educate yourself, because not only does it help you to understand the disease, it will help you to care for the person with the disease, see it in a different light, understand that like alcoholism, it's, it, it's, it's a horrible, horrible illness that affects everybody that you're around. You know, when it gets to a certain level, it affects your life, your job. So does CTE. And the thing about it is they're both diseases, right? But we just, we've got to get the understanding and awareness out there just as much as we do about all the other mental illnesses and injuries and things like that. And a lot of people don't understand also that CTE can start in your 20s and or your teens. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you can have pretty bad CTE as we saw in uh, Aaron Hernandez, who's in his oh, early yeah. 20s. So yeah, it starts early. Yeah, and these kids are faster, stronger, they're training earlier. I was watching some clips of Aaron Hernandez, of course, you know, read, watched the documentary, listened to the podcast, saw, you know, um, but I watched some clips of Aaron playing because I never watched him play and I, I got chills up my spine. I had no idea the guy played football like that. I mean, just, <laughs> yeah, powerful, yeah, powerful yeah. guy, powerful guy. Um, and it is heartbreaking. Yeah. At 20, I think it was 27 or two young, was it 27. Two young. Yeah. Yeah. Two young. I think if anyone hasn't watched that documentary, it's a real good watch to learn a bit more about CT, how, how it can be prevalent in younger people. I think it's still on Netflix, isn't it? That's definitely where I saw it. But um, it's, yeah, that's definitely worth a watch, I think. And we can yeah, put in is. our show notes all um, a link to the the stuff, right? Like the Concussion Legacy Foundation and the movie and all of that. So yes, it will be on the show notes and also on our website. We'll put it on our website. A link to every important place where we feel it provides the best information. Mm -hmm. Great, yeah, that is so great. Well, I think what you girls are doing is incredible. But also, I just, I love, I love the mission and I love that, that, um, that this has spread 
into the UK. I, I just, I love this whole thing. You know, I feel like this is like just a really big hug. Um, every time I hear about it becoming more and more well-known, it just warms my heart. Because again, we were talking about nothing happens as quick as you want it to. But, you know, like my parents used to say, slow and steady wins the race. So progress one day at a time, you know, having the resources to, to get um, people help immediately when they need it, like immediate help, which thankful for that and having the conversation, having the conversation with people, you know, the minute they, they bring it up, you know, if you put yourself out there, people start asking you questions. <laughs> like if you're like me and you start you know, talking and sharing stories and just being like, I don't care. I'll tell you what, what do you want to know? You know, then eventually people start to go, Hey, this happened to me, or this is what's going on with my neighbor. You know, where should they go? Do you know of any place? And it's like, yes, I do. And I just think, okay, you know, it was, it, it, it's worth it. And again, no one's alone. There's lots of groups, um, yes. lots of support groups, lots of Facebook support groups. Lots of, um, you know, nonprofits, lots of everything. CLF, of course, being, you know, my, my, my biggest one uh, that I refer everyone to. But there's several um, also small groups, you know, Facebook groups to get involved with um, that uh, Trisha knows a lot about. Um, and um, People can go on there and they can talk safely and anonymously to other people living these experiences. And I, I've had really, I've never seen anyone abuse that, you know, anonymity. Have you, I mean, no, uh -uh. everybody has just really been incredible as far as respecting anonymity, but yet um, needing a safe place to talk and everybody wants to talk. Everybody wants to release it. They do. You just have to, you have to make them feel like they're in a safe place. Yeah, I think it's great that you guys have, have somewhere to go to that, because I mean, for example, for me, even though I understand CT and I've spoken to so many people, including you guys, about your stories, I, I, I mean, I'm never going to understand it truly unless I have someone who is going through the same thing. So I think it's really important that for people to realise that you're not alone in this and actually it's more common than you think and like you said Mary once you kind of open up and really share your story that those people start asking the questions and I think that's it, as hard as it is that there is also that lovely side to it where it's such a, a safe community and people just want to be there for mm -hmm. each other um so hopefully going to be more and more of that as, as time goes on yeah that's that's what I'm hoping for and you are making a difference you're doing it right now so we just have to keep moving forward and um, keep doing what we're doing and keep encouraging people. And um, I just, you know, I, I just, I think it's great. I, I think it's great we're Thank having this you, conversation. Mary. There's so many other conversations. Like I, I keep thinking y'all are going to have so many incredible conversations on this thing. You know, it's just endless what you can um, make happen with this and how important Important it is and I think it's going to make the biggest difference in people's lives I, I think that get ready because I really do think that it's um it's necessary and um I think it's great y'all are both strong women you know 
um, from different backgrounds, different things, but I think that it's a really, really great thing. And I'm so honored that you asked me to be part of it. And thank you for, for doing that. Thank you so oh much. My gosh. I will always do anything for the cause, for the cause of awareness for CTE. That's something that will just always be my passion. And it's um, something that is always an honor, you know, for me to share. Mm -hmm. um, I, people did that for me. And that's why I am sitting here today is because people gave me hope when I didn't have hope. So yeah, that's what we're here for. Wow. Thank you so much for joining us, Mary. It's been absolutely incredible to speak to you once again. You've been so honest and open and I really, really appreciate that. And I know all of our listeners will. Thanks for having me. Seriously, it was an honor and love you both. And um, we will talk very soon again. So that's the end of today's episode, everyone. We hope you enjoyed it and we hope that you learned something new today. Please join us next week, Monday at eight o'clock for the next episode of CTE Talk. Hope everyone has a fabulous week and we will see you then. Bye. Bye.